Let's see. Control F lemons. Control F smut. Hi, I'm Shayzilla. Oh, that was Shay. my intro. <laughs> I'm most likely to make it as the final girl in a horror novel. I'm Melissa Morbid. That was good. I don't I don't even know what to say. What's like a good statement? Um She's um, got writer's block. It's Angela Undead. <laughs> that was good. That was good. And we are the goths next, next door. door. Hi. And we have a very, very special guest to us tonight. Melissa contacted her. And I'm so excited to introduce Danielle DeVore. Is that correct? DeVore? Yes, it is. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, yes, bitch. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me here. We're so of excited course. to have We're you. We're so excited to have you. So tell us a little bit about you. You're an author. Tonight yes. is all about writing and authors and horror I and am, creepy stuff. I uh, am a horror and art fantasy, or horror and dark fantasy author, and I also have a degree in art history as well as theater and design tech. Um, I am also an editor for City Out Press, and they are a publishing company that does horror fantasy contemporary romance and like you know pretty much everything in between like anything that can be speculative fiction so i get to not only work on my own books but i also get to help other people with their books and genres that i love so it's fun that's awesome you're like doing all the things you kind of do everything that's like. actually what my boss Tina Moss says. She's like, I'm, I'm like the jack of all trades because I also do like the social media for the press. I do, like, um, I send out trade advance readers copies. I do all this stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Oh wow! You probably have a really five. good planner. I'm sorry. What? You probably have a really good planner, or like you're really like yes, organized. Yes, and right? I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like I, I I have ADHD, but I'm obsessive compulsive at the same time. So like I'll have like this list of things I need to do, and I've always been one of those people that have to get stuff done early. So I have to like make myself take days off on the weekend, otherwise I'll keep working. <laughs> yep. What does that mm. sound like? Yeah. yeah. I was like, hey, same. <laughs> What's up, bestie? That's right. <laughs> um, so Melissa made a planned a little game for us, and some of our viewers might not have seen this done before. But we're going to try to make like a little short story, a little scary short story. But we're gonna go one word at a time and go around in a circle, and see what we come up with. Okay. And I guess keep it semi-appropriate. But I mean, I don't know. Just do whatever you want, I suppose. <laughs> okay. My mom's not watching these anymore. She gave up. <laughs> um, crap, which order are we in? Let me look at our setup on Twitch, because I don't even know what we look like right now, who's in what order. I should look. This is... Okay. It goes Angela, Danielle, me, Melissa on the screen. Sorry, I had to look at that, because thank you, Brittany. Shout out to Brittany, who is once again running our stream. Yeah. Being a bad So I guess we could go Angela, Danielle, me, Melissa for the words. Sounds good. So we're no fresh. So like Say one it. word, not even a sentence, yeah, just one word. Yeah. Uh, 
on the oldest talk there Danielle. I thought it was your turn. Is that you? Oh, no. Did you say there? I said there. Oh, was. Oh, um, A. Frog. Haunted. Ooh. Boat. With. Sinister. Sailors. Oh. And a. Did you say they? A is an apple. A. Okay. Monstrous. Snake. Uh, <laughs> what was that, Danielle? I said that. Devoured. All. Men. Oh, the end. The end. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? If we like put it together, uh, on the coldest dock, there there was a haunted boat. Uh huh. With sinister sailors and a monstrous snake that ate all men. Yes. That's kind of beautiful. You know what? From that prompt, I am now going to write a book because Danielle has inspired me. She was telling us before we went live that people can get into writing very easily. If I mean, not very easily, but no. if, you have to have talent to begin with. Yeah, if you, yeah, but if you it's easier than I thought. It's it's it, like getting in with like one of the like big publishers is much harder than getting in with small press. Um, I'm, like, a big fan of small press because generally small presses, like, really care about their authors and they want you to develop a career versus, like, a big publisher wants you to have a hit out of the, you know, the block. And if you Mm -hmm. don't do well with your first book, then you can get dropped by that publisher. That's so fair. Yeah, and it's really hard to get started as a debut author. So small presses are more apt to be like, okay... We're going to take you on, and you're part of our team, so let's work together to build your career and build your fan base. So I mm-hmm. much prefer small oh. press over, like, big traditional publishing because of that. Absolutely. That makes sense. And I just, I didn't ever realize, because to me it seems like such a daunting world because there's can be. there's so many steps, and, like, I love that, like, a smaller publisher can probably better assist you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, we don't have as much of a budget as, like, a big press, but we can guide you on how to, like, build your, like, like, social media and how to, like, just really develop your presence online as an author because, you know, now it's so important, just like with any other creative industry, to connect with people online that, you know, you have to have an online presence. There's no way, like, you can't be Hemingway mm-hmm. hidden in your, like, little dark dungeon. You have to be out there. and be Heming part of Daddy. Everything. Yeah. 
I do love Hemingway. In the world, I've seen so many um, TikToks of different authors trying to get their stories out there Mm -hmm. on Book Talk. My bad. Book Talk is a huge tool right now. Mm -hmm. It is probably the most useful thing for an author to do. Honestly, TikTok in general is such a, if you can utilize it correctly and get success, you can use it to really launch. There's been so many people who found such huge success. So speaking of, are you on TikTok, Danielle? I am. Uh, Where can can everybody find you? Uh, My name on TikTok is Dvorkian. So D-E-V-O-R-K-I-A-N. I love that. And if anyone doesn't know, there was a doctor back in the 80s and 90s called Jack Kevorkian who was known for um, being like the first person that would um, help people pass away if they were suffering from a, like a severe terminal illness or something and they couldn't handle the pain anymore so he would help them mm-hmm. pass in a That's very dignified way and um, it was just kind of funny the reason why Dvorkian came about was actually by way of my mother. My mother at the time was working at um, NIOSH, which is a division of CDC, and there was a college student that was in there doing an internship, and he heard her name, her last name, and he was just like, okay, Dvorkian. And so I was like, okay, that's that's a fun name, so I'm going to use it for like some of my social medias. Yeah. I love that. You're like, well, you know what? Fine. Thank you. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like a good branding. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> I love it. Um, I know all well, of us are so eager to ask you questions. Yeah, I know. I was like, Melissa yeah. made these questions, and I'm really excited about them. <laughs> I feel like reading these, being like, okay, I'm excited because I don't, I don't know much about this world from your perspective. So I would love to hear your answer to a lot of these. Um, oh, sure. I am an open book. I will answer anything that oh, I, I know the answer to. So. An open book. Yes. I guess mine was already asked. Mine was like, tell us about yourself. So Angela, you have the next question. If you want to. So well, this is this is actually a really good question. So as both an author and an editor, you're probably no stranger to the vast subgenres within horror fiction. Which subgenre fascinates you the most and why? I, as a reader, I am obsessed with vampires. Always have been. Um, I was the kid who taught myself a little bit of Romanian to be able to read folklore and stuff when I was really tiny. Um, so vampires That's are like awesome. my little jam. Wow. I love anything to do with vampires. In terms of writing, I've kind of fallen into writing exorcism and possession fiction, which mm-hmm. is really fun because I, I don't I like to take the tropes that are really common and kind of turn them upside down and then add other parts of fantasy and horror and like envelop my own world and kind of create my own kind of Kolchak the Night Stalker quasi Jim Butcher type thing going on. So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. I love that. It's a whole mix. Yeah. <laughs> Horror often explores deep fears and it taps into our darkest emotions, but it's the substance of a good story that really stays in a reader's brain for a long time. How do you write stories that evoke evoke genuine fear in your readers but also are giving us an engaging and memorable narrative i'm a big fan of adding humor to something because i like that in real life 
nothing is ever so, you know, completely dark all the time. You can have, you know, somebody walking down the street and, like, somebody's chasing them, but then, you know, a squirrel runs in front of them or something, and it's just something completely ridiculous. It doesn't have anything to do with what's going on. And I like to add tidbits like that to increase the realism, because the more realistic you have something, the more it kind of gets into someone's head, because it then becomes, well, this is something that could maybe happen. And I like doing that because then, it, you know, it gets the reader kind of starting to tiptoe just a little bit. And then you start amping mm -hmm. up. Like, you're really careful, at least the way I write, in that you try to pepper in, like, little things that, like, gradually increase the dread over time. So it's not like, you know, you go to uh. movie theater and see, like, a shock moment constantly. Because after a while, you become desensitized to those. Whereas if you True. have, like, this gradual building... And then all of a sudden it hits, it knocks you out sideways, and you're like, ah! Yeah. Not for nothing, but I don't know if sometimes when you guys read or anything like that, like, I find that when I read books, I can be super easily distracted. So when you add things like that, that's super, like, realistic and makes you actually feel, like, that's what draws anybody in, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, shit, it's my turn. Fuck. <laughs> in horror, characters often often face terrifying and otherworldly situations. How do you create relatable characters despite their extraordinary situations and circumstances that they find themselves in? I like to make characters that are not perfect. Because oh. none of us are perfect. And there are too many characters like, you know, the Mary Sue that that's kind of like a general like slang term is like the trope, like the cliche, like, you know, the little goody two shoes that somehow does everything right. And even though this bad stuff happens, she manages to miraculously do this thing, even though she doesn't know what she's doing and she ends up being OK at the end. That's like a Mary Sue type of character. I like to do, like, for instance, my main character in The Mark of Chronicles, which is my exorcism series, um, Jimmy Holiday is a defrocked priest, and he is very self-deprecating. He freely admits that half the time he doesn't know what he's doing, but yeah. he takes advice from other people, like his fiance is a witch and so she operates a lot on um her beliefs and so he asks her questions about occult things that he encounters and gets her input on things and he's not mm -hmm. close-minded that he won't accept information from other sources than what he personally knew when he was a priest and i think that you know when you create a character you have to make them well-rounded and willing to be more realistic because if you have you know just a character that's you know, two-dimensional, then nobody's going to feel anything about that character. They're not going to care. But if you give a background, like, you know, this character went through this horrible thing in this, their past, but and that thing is what directed them to be this other thing. And, you know, you just kind of build on these things. And mm -hmm. um, what's really fun about writing a series is that over time you can add more of these tidbits and, like, really over time it's like you get to know a friend versus just knowing like this like little tiny bit of a slice of a character's like experience it's almost like the iceberg theory with a an author is that with an iceberg you only see like the top 10 percent or something like that and mm -hmm. that's what maybe the the reader is getting per book 
but the author knows the 90% underneath that is building this character. And then over time, over a series especially, you can then introduce other stuff that you, the author, because you've created such a fully flushed out character, you can bring all these tidbits that will help Mm -hmm. drive the narrative for future books. Exactly. Because you had it sitting down there the whole time. Mm-hmm. I went to college once. Do you um do you like keep like a file on like your main characters and like stuff that you've created about them so you can like reference it or like how do you keep track? Sadly, no. I I should do that. I have you should stored up here somehow, and um, I've had a couple people comment they are kind of puzzled as to how I come up with some of the things I come up with because, you know, I, I tend to just kind of wander along and then, like, I'll get an idea and I'll figure out how to incorporate that idea in the world I've already created. And I essentially write myself into corners and then write myself back out. I and that's how that. I do every single book. That's such a good that's challenge. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like creating your own puzzle, but it's something that it's a puzzle that somebody else has to look at and be able to make sense of it. Yes. So the horror genre has its fair share of iconic monsters and creatures. Are there any particular entities that you find most intriguing and have they inspired your own creations? I know you kind of said vampires are your thing, but is yeah. there anything is there else? Like one vampire? Well, my absolute okay. favorite vampire of all time is Lestat. I, I, uh, yeah? He's my favorite. I can't <laughs> help it. Um, I think he's the best written vampire character ever. Um, he's just fun. Uh, but in terms of like my own stuff, I got to thinking the other day that there isn't a whole lot... While there's a lot of werewolf movies, there aren't a whole lot of werewolf novels written. And so that's ah. something I might be doing at some point is writing a werewolf story. Um, the other thing I kind of like to do is um, kind of think out of the box a little bit. And I'm actually in the process of writing kind of like a monster romance at the moment. And mm-hmm. what I'm doing is there's this character that is a rock star, but he's also part flying sp- spaghetti monster. And so when he gets horny, like, he grows these spaghetti tentacles out of his sides and stuff. So. He's Italian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hard flight spaghetti monster. I love yeah. it. <laughs> do you guys know every chat? Do you know about the flying spaghetti monster and that whole thing? No. No? Oh, my gosh. I it don't. Was like this, it was, like, a whole thing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Danielle, but if I remember right back in school, it was a guy wrote this because they were saying, you know, all these other, you know, uh, like, I think pre- predominantly Christian teachings were being taught in school. So he was like, well, then what about my religion? The flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> no, and people would wear like the actual uh, spaghetti drainers on their yes. heads. What the hell? This is so amazing. It's really funny. If you get a chance, look it up. And. The really funny part is that it's um it's uh, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. They have a website, and um, just the fact that it's real. Yeah, I had to co- I contacted the guy that invented it all because you know obviously he invented it, so he owns the copyright to it. And so I sent him an email. I'm like, okay, I, this is kind of out of the box, but I have this idea for a book. 
and I like you know related to, relate to him the idea for it and uh, like the like working title which is my newly appendages apostophorian romance and he was just like you have to write this book yes I give you permission <laughs> that, that's amazing I, he's just like yep go the, he gave the, you the, green. the Pope of the flying spaghetti monster church gave you his blessing yes literally <laughs> that is chef's kid um, speaking of your books i want to make sure we remind all of our viewers we are doing a giveaway yes with danielle's books and melissa pre-arranged it melissa do you want to te- help tease what's happening in the end you can describe yes. it if you entered our giveaway on Twitter, I went ahead and grabbed everybody's screen names from Twitter that entered our giveaway, and we entered it into a spinning wheel, and we'll spin that wheel and see who the wheel picks. But that's and at our, the end, so you got to stay the end. And yeah. on to see if you won. There are going to be six mm-hmm. total winners, so it's not just like, oh, one and done. We're talking six different winners, and once one person wins, they'll be removed from the ability to win again, so nobody will win all of it. It'll be six different winners, so stick and around. And one person gets a very special... We're releasing a limited edition hardback of Sars <gasps> Point that actually has an alternate ending that has not been published before. <gasps> so it has, like, extra goodies in it and everything, so one of those winners will get the special hardback. Ooh, so stick around. This is amazing. Yeah. We'll get that. I love hardbacks. I love the way they smell. Is that weird? Yeah. No, it's not. No, I agree. Oh, they're, they're just great. Okay. <laughs> That's like it's really exciting as an author when you, know? you actually get a hardback because a lot, a lot of um, books are mostly published in paperback and ebook now. So you kind of like to actually finally get a hardback is like a, oh my gosh, I made this step. I got the hardback. So it's like a really exciting mm-hmm. thing. So this will be my second hardback. So. Oh my God. Oh yeah. That's so exciting. Yes. Unfortunately, I don't have the cover for it. I, I was hoping that we would have the cover art done so I could like present it to everyone, but unfortunately, it's not ready yet. But if you go on my website, daniellevore.com, there is a pre-order sign-up. So if anyone's interested in pre-ordering a hardback, you can fill out the form on the website. Awesome. So cool. Oh, when a whole you thing. do your cover like a... art, do you hire um, an illustrator or do you take pictures and use um, models? Actually, uh, what we do is we work through um, a company co- out of the Ukraine called Meebly Art. And they um, will pay for like stock photography or illustrations and things and they combine it together into a cover. Um, but cool. you know, if you're, if you're a self-published person, you can either work through someone like that, or you can actually pay photographers to do photography. Um, I actually also know someone who is actually a paid artist to do like paintings for their covers, which is extremely expensive, but I, I've seen it done. So you can do a lot of things with book covers now. Yeah. I've seen a lot of castings for romantic uh, book covers in LA. They're constantly uh, mm-hmm. doing the photo shoots for romantic That's book so covers. Yeah. <laughs> With horror, it can be a really powerful tool for social commentary, mm-hmm. addressing important issues in a totally unique way with the spooky element of horror. Have you used your writing as a means to convey any social or cultural messages that were important to you? I have actually in um Sars Point it gets into the fact that uh my main character's sister uh 
unalived herself after being, uh, I say, abused by a unfortunate um, man in the neighborhood. And so it gets into um, how, you know, child abuse and things affect not only the person who has dealt with the situation, but the family that's left behind if someone unalives themselves. And so I felt really strongly that that was something that would be important to input into my fiction because it's unfortunately so commonplace in our world today that I think it's a good conversation to have. I couldn't agree more. That's people really do need reminders, you know, that to stay, to stay and hang out on this earth and exactly. your family and friends and loved ones will, will definitely miss you. So stick around. 100%. And I feel like putting it out, like not hiding it and exactly. being honest and showing it from a different perspective that people might not have considered, like really helps ground people in a reality of like how devastating a situation like that can be. Exactly. And how serious SA is, that's really mm -hmm. important to, mm -hmm. especially with everything going on in the media now and how many times victims are, uh, villainize themselves exactly. in our culture especially if they're mm -hmm. women um that i think that's so important to discuss that and have that be a part of your book thank you for Very including much. that well thank you um as an editor you have a keen eye for storytelling so when you're you're reviewing submissions and you're going through everything sent to you what are key elements that you look for in any particular writing piece to, that makes it stand out from the rest the biggest thing for me is voice. You don't want your fiction to sound like the adults on a peanut cartoon. So, you know, you don't want to have a wah, wah, wah. You want to have, you know, bits of humor. Or you want to have, like, if it's a fantasy, you want to have, like, melodic language. Things that really are genre-specific, but also your own take on it. So that it makes, you know, as you're reading it, it makes you fall in love with the prose. And so that's one of the big things I look for. The other thing is storytelling. And, mm -hmm. you know, granted a submission is usually what I'll do is like I'll ask for like the first five pages. So it's not like I'm getting a lot of the story to begin with. But in the first five pages, you should be able to have like the basic of the story that's starting to unfold. So if you don't quite have that yet and you have, you know, five pages of somebody, say, rambling about the shampoo bottle, you need to cut a bunch yeah. of stuff, you know. So it's, it's, it's like you run into all different types of things when you're an editor in the different submissions. One big thing is paying attention to the editor that you're submitting to because I get a lot of submissions that aren't in the genres that we publish at all. Um, one, a big example of this is that City Owl does not publish any young adult. And on my um, query manager thing, I have it checked that I do not do young adult but I get a lot of young adult submissions. So people oh, need to yeah. be really careful. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. That would seem pretty basic, but I guess it's not. Yeah. If that happens yeah. to me a lot. And, and, no, and Danielle, I but I understand when it's somebody that doesn't, adult. um, that, you know, English is their second language or something, but um, it's, it happens more often than you'd think that it's pretty common that somebody will just be like, oh, she wrote fantasy, I'll go ahead and submit my young adult book and I'll write down the young adults in the query letter and maybe she'll skip over it and go ahead and read it anyway. And that's like a, a big flag to me. I'm like, oh, didn't read the thing, reject. 
You mentioned that in fantasy you like a really melodic style of writing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you like with horror like that's similar like like that? Um, horror is very much like I like fast paced. Um, so and what I mean by that is not so much that you know you don't have any description or anything like that. What I mean is like you have an intensity. So say you're driving down a road and like somebody jumps out in front of the car and you swerve and miss but then they're gone and so it's like these like progression of events and it's described but it moves the the story forward in a fast direction so it makes it action-packed as well as also horrific for my adhd that's perfect that's I'm like, yes, the fast books. I love <laughs> fast-paced books. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is just like one thing after another that can keep me mm-hmm. right there. Oh, I love that. So horror stories often leave a lasting impact on readers and sometimes lingering in their minds long after they finish reading. What do you think makes horror fiction so endearing and beloved by fans? How do you keep fans on the edge of their seat every time they're reading a book? I think it's knowing, in general, what people are afraid of, um, and that kind of changes throughout time. So we've gone from, you know, especially with things like the pandemic, we went through, like, never imagining that, you know, illness could become a big force of fear in our society. And now it's, you know, everybody realizes, okay, illness can be a fear. So... As an author, it's like you pay attention to these things that come across the news. You pay attention to little things. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're writing a pandemic story, but you know that people now know what it's like to be stuck in four walls and not be able to get out. And so you can use that feeling of being stuck in your writing in order to make the people feel that again that amps up their anxiety and their terror to a certain extent if that makes any sense goosebumps a little bit yeah (laughs) that's gosh you've got to like really be i feel like not only on the pulse of everything that's going on but you also have to be able to be creative because like you said you're not being super literal and being like i'm writing the covid spooky book you know but how you can incorporate this cultural phenomena and this worldwide tragedy and make that into something unrelated but people can still take that known fear Mm -hmm. and feel it that's that takes a lot of skill and creativity i feel like and it's oh yeah the thing about you know being an author to remember too is if you're starting out as an author on average, you're going to write at least 100,000 words before you really know what you're doing. It takes a while. It's like any other skill. You have to practice and you have to learn your craft. So it's not like, you know, if you start trying to write a short story and it doesn't work out and it doesn't sound good that you should quit because you're just still in that learning process. So, yeah. you, know, it, you know, I've been publishing since 2012, so I've been doing it for quite a while. And so it it takes time to develop all these skills, just like with, you know, like if you're a musician, you have to learn how to play your instrument in different styles of music. Or if you're a makeup artist, you have to learn how to do the different types of makeup. It's just like any other thing that's creative. You have to learn your craft. So don't get discouraged really fast. Don't get discouraged, Yeah. yeah. 
The horror genre has evolved over the years. It's been embracing new themes, styles, and now it's going to be, we've got even television horror shows like American Horror Story. How do you see the future of horror fiction unfolding, and do you anticipate any trends coming up? I wouldn't be surprised. One of the things that I think that there's going to get more into, like, kind of book slash streaming kind of combinations because streaming yeah. has become so big and there are already like little apps that are combining like words with like animations and stuff and so i wouldn't be surprised if we don't eventually evolve into using something like ai to create images that are licensed but they go along with a book or they actually almost mm -hmm. make a picture book type of thing while a story is being told that people can watch and tune into. That I can see happening. I'd be super into something like that. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's basically everything, all mediums evolve. Mm -hmm. All, everything that we're consuming evolves and changes. So it only makes sense that certain things would merge. Yeah. And build on top of each other yeah um what role does atmosphere and setting play in your horror fiction so how do you create an immersive and chilling environment for your readers well the best advice i ever got was to think of writing a book like you're watching a film so okay you know that you have to describe say the apartment you're in well you have to know whether it's day or night you have to know if there's any unusual smells. You have to know what the weather is outside. You have to know if there's any odd noises inside the apartment or outside. And so you want to take all these things from the all five senses and put them in your fiction. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, you have to describe everything, but you have to describe it in a way that is not only interesting, but is also immersive. So you're kind of building... A visual representation, but with words. That's so interesting. I feel like so many books I've read have really relied on only describing what you can see. And then you just mentioned mm -hmm. talking about what can you smell? Is there smell. a room in the room? That, I feel like that's like so good for creating the, the mood, especially for horror. Mm -hmm. Smell and weather for horror. I feel like that's just a key uh, really could create a good spooky atmosphere that I feel like maybe other authors have missed out on. Um, Cause that's, I feel like it's usually just been like, Oh, this is what the room looks like. And they're not mentioning those other key things. Temperature. Yeah. How often in horror. Or like, you know, if, if you're walking across the room and you step in like a pool of blood, well, the blood's mm. going to feel kind of sticky. Is it warm or is it cold? You know, little things like that. How fresh is that murder? Yeah, yeah exactly. but like the way you the way you explain it and describe it in a book, especially when you're really in it, it, it makes you feel like you're there. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, are there any real life events, folklore, or legends that you that have influenced your writing in the horror genre? If so, how have they shaped your storytelling? So, I know you kind of said already with vampires and stuff like that, but is there anything else that has kind of helped you along well, the way um my family both my parents have grown had grown up in haunted houses 
and then um, the house that I grew up in, there were shadow people going through the yard constantly. Um, and Excuse and, me? Yes. <laughs> you could actually watch them walk up the hill and walk past the house. We need more of these stories, we're too. Kind of, so oh, so we're so stories. excited to announce that Danielle DeVore will be back on The Goths Next Door on day which where she will be telling us all these things absolutely mm -hmm. i'd be happy to come back and talk about ghost stories i have a bunch of them. oh yes baby <laughs> oh my god I I the office i'm in right now is haunted. <laughs> oh my god yeah. yeah oh but so no wait if you don't if you don't mind me asking where did you grow up um i live in west virginia roughly oh hour yeah mm -hmm. pennsylvania Oh yeah, no, all of West Virginia, that whole state. Yeah. Isn't that like the uh Appalachian Mountains? Yes, and yeah. where uh is it are they called skinwalkers? I might be wrong. There's there are some yeah. like skinwalker legends and then uh the southern part of the states where uh Mothman was. Mm -hmm. <gasps> that's where Mothman is from. Yep. And that's where we'll be going one day. We're gonna make a visit there. The goths are gonna visit there. Yeah, you so if we go. do ever visit you and you wanna meet up with us, meet I us would there. Love to. That would be great. We can go to my yeah. cousin and I'll like get our pictures taken with Mothman. I'm oh about God. this. Little autograph. Well, that'd be kind of hard because he's a statue. But <laughs> no, no, I believe it. He'll come to life just for us. Okay, he will. All right. Um, as a female author in the horror genre, have you faced any unique challenges or any stereotypes, and how have you overcome them? Uh, when I first got started, I was told that I should choose a male-sounding pen name. Mm. Uh, either use just, like, my initials, like D.L. DeVore, or, you know, completely change my name to something male-sounding. And I was like, mm. fuck no. I'm, I am who I am. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've always been Danielle DeVore. The only reason I would use a pen yeah. name would be literally if it was something like, if I was like suddenly changing to a genre, like it was complete comedy or something. And then I'd want like, you know, a funny pen name to go with it, but I'd make it plain on my website that this is who I'm also am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, that makes one sense. Time that I had some discrimination. I was like, no, I'm, I, I, I'm a girl, and I write horror, and I like spooky stuff. You can either take it or leave it. I mean, imagine yeah. that in, like, any in any other field, you know? Like, someone's like, oh, I went to school to be a dentist. And they're like, well, make sure that your dentistry name, make sure it sounds like it's a man. Yeah. You know? Like, that is so, that is so objectionable and so offensive yeah. and just. And uh, the really sad part about it, that was 2012. It's not that long ago. That was 2012. But like not that's barely 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, shit. It's, it's 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 a damn shame, truly. Uh but the on the positive note is that women are more accepted in horror now. There are quite a few of not only female authors that are published both in traditional publishing houses and small press, but also there's a very big community of indie horror authors. So women are attacking horror with gusto, so that's a yay for us. Yeah. Clip that. Women are attacking horror with gusto. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> I love that. How do you, so how do you keep readers on the edge of their seats? 
I have this thing, and so far mm-hmm. I have not accomplished it, but it's a goal I have. My goal is to one day write something that scares the crap out of myself. Ooh, that's a good I goal. I haven't done it yet. Mm. So I keep trying to write stuff and keep trying to come up with things that could possibly lead me down that path. So far, I think it's working because I've had people both tell me that I've made them forever afraid of 3 a.m. And I've also had people mm. tell me that my book scared the shit out. So I'm like, yes, this is good. But I haven't scared myself yet. But I keep hoping and I keep trying. Ooh, yeah, but once you get there. that, you're going to be like, oh, God, now I can't sleep with like at night at all. Well, no, see, yeah. I have the opposite thing. Like, if I find something that bothers me, that I'm the type of person that keeps diving myself into it and desensitizing myself from it. Wow. And it's, it gets really obsessive with it. And, like, um, for instance, when I was younger, uh, film The Exorcist creeped me out a little bit. So what did I do? I forced myself to watch it in the dark alone. Yeah. <laughs> People keep telling me to do that with spiders, and I just no. I yeah, I'm, not, I'm never gonna yeah, do that with snakes. Spiders is something that you know can touch you. A movie isn't going to touch you. True. Yeah. True. Unless I watched as a kid the uh, the old old like the black and white one, not the one that came out in the early 2000s of The Haunting. Um, mm-hmm. it's like a black and white one. When I was yeah. a kid, I would just be like, this movie is so scary to me. And for some reason, I would just sit home alone in the dark and be like, let me watch this. <laughs> it was great. It was perfect. Right? I love that movie. Breathes. It's just yes! so cool. Oh, yeah. oh my God. All of it. It's just so, it's so freaky. It's so freaky. Oh. And sometimes I think black and white makes something creepier. Yeah, yeah. And so mm-hmm. it gives you a totally different kind of alien feel to whatever you're watching. And so I think more films should be shot in black and white for horror. That's my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you guys see that the uh, Oppenheimer movie, I may have pronounced that wrong, uh, Oppenheimer, I don't know, uh, that parts of it are going to be in black and white mm-hmm. and parts of it are going to be in color depending on if it was subjective for the character or objective. And I'm like, Oh, that's really smart! Oh wow, isn't that brilliant? Oh, like yes. that is so cool. Very so, interested in that. That's you know, great. when it's randomly in black and white, it's like that means that it's the character versus, uh, mm-hmm. like, oh, fact that we know for sure happened versus what could be subjective. I love that. Um, like in Schindler's like, List, when they had the little girl in the red coat. Red coat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Talking about breathing walls and haunting and all that yes. sort of thing. Horror fiction often goes into supernatural. You were talking about exorcism and explores mm-hmm. the unknown. When you're writing with supernatural, how do you balance the supernatural with grounded storytelling to have it still be believable, although it is supernatural? Uh, one of the things I like to do is make, in every single book, have one character be a smartass. And the reason uh-huh. I do that is not only because I know a lot of smart asses and I get a lot of really cool one-liners. Uh, one of them is my father, and I've flat out said that you know I've copied a lot of the things that will fly out of his mouth and put it in my books. But <laughs> the point of having a smart ass is that we all know somebody like that. And so if you can kind of make a connection to your friend base or your family base, then that makes the horror 
more realistic because you're making a personal connection to it. Mm-hmm. And so I like to add like little tricks like that because it makes the horror in and of itself grounded because we all know a smart aleck or a smart ass somewhere. Yeah. And so then you're like you either can see yourself or you see somebody you know very well. And so when you take into those little things, then it helps like even if you have like an eight-legged monster walking through the hallway but your friend's over here like, hey, I wonder if he wants a beer. It's more realistic. It's funny that you still have the thing coming at you, and it still mm-hmm. can kill you. Mm-hmm. It's a balance. Yeah. Are there any particular horror authors or authors in general or works that have had a significant influence on your writing or your approach style to writing? I don't know that I've had like specific stylistic changes in my writing. I can say that early Anne Rice was something that I wanted to aspire to write like, but I write completely different than she does. Um, but I always loved her writing style and the way that she used very lush language for descriptions and things. Uh, I tend to write more in a like fast-paced kind of uh, stabby style, so our styles are completely different. But I always admired her style, and I was never able to match it, so I was like, okay, I need to come up with my own voice. So I guess you could say that her style made me develop my own voice as an author. I love that. It's, like, inspiring, but, like, you know, you're flourishing to be your own flower Mm -hmm. blossoming instead of trying to be the exact same type. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, And... Angela had to step away, I'm assuming, to get her computer charger, because I'm sure her computer is dying. Um, But can you share any memorable or bizarre encounters that you've had with fans of your work? Um, The most memorable one was um, I was actually uh, going into Amish country in Ohio, and uh, this fan had contacted me online, and she wanted to know if she could meet me because she lived in Ohio. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going up into Amish country. Let's get together. We can have lunch, and I can sign your books or whatever. And it was kind of interesting because it was not long after I had uh, had a bout with cancer and had gone through chemotherapy, so my hair was growing back. And she touched my hair. And I was just like, that's a little personal. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, was, that was a little different. I mean, she was, was really it... nice otherwise, but it was just like, okay, that's a little bit too much. It's too close. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be a little... Yeah. Yeah. Don't, watching, like, don't touch people's hair don't without asking. Yeah, and Never you know, touch. especially don't touch if you're, without asking. you know, recovering from something like cancer, the the hair re- regrowth process is actually really traumatic. A lot of people don't realize that. And so, you know, anything to do with the hair is like, hands off. Just don't mm-hmm. talk about the hair. Don't, just leave it alone. Because, like, one of the other things I had was um, the kind of myth is that if you go through chemotherapy, your hair will always come back curly. As you can see, mine is straight as a board. It was a straight as a board prior to, it came back in straight. But everybody seemed to be obsessed to tell me, oh, your hair's going to come back curly and you're going to look like a little orphan Annie. 
well, I didn't want to look like Little Wolf Annie, and that's not, like, a great thing to tell somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) no. So, it's just, it's kind of interesting the way people don't realize their words or actions can affect someone. So, I guess that's, like, with the fan thing, that was, like, you know, kind of weird. Maybe remember boundaries, and maybe keep it, keep it to talk about the book, talk about the subject. Exactly. Don't, there's no there's no real reason to compliment or to do anything comment on someone's physical appearance other than maybe like makeup or yeah. your style makeup exactly. and style something that someone can change within uh five like five minutes yeah comment on that or so like, like say you know i love your shirt where did you get it that's totally yeah. fine you know but don't just like be like oh my gosh your hair's coming in really great uh, no oh oh my god that's yeah, no, yeah. that's too personal. I think uh, a good way I, I read someone saying to have more just meaningful compliments is if you compliment something that someone had a choice in. So something mm-hmm. like how our hair is growing is not, you know, versus exactly. your style, this amazing outfit you put together. The lipstick mm-hmm. that earlier, I was like, like I love We lipstick. love that. Like, you're, yeah. Shows that you you created that so that compliment is so much more meaningful because it wasn't just like you're like yep i woke up and you know yeah, it was like you, exactly. you had a say in it so i think mm-hmm. that to keep your compliments more meaningful and definitely away from any yeah. sort of appearance in mind that you know anybody that you're a fan of every they're people too you know you shouldn't put people up on a pedestal and think that they're a certain thing because, you know, everybody goes to McDonald's once in a while or everybody takes a shower. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. You're not doing anything different. You're still, everybody's a human being, you know, it's not. Yeah. That's no, so important for everybody to remember that, uh, you know, I think Shay and I feel like we talk about this quite a bit where you can have role models and people that you look up to but you have to also understand every single person is a person which exactly. means nobody like you were saying with your characters how boring if they were perfect all the time exactly like nobody exactly. is perfect all the time and that includes our role models it includes our favorite artists authors celebrities and ourselves exactly. ourselves exactly. you know give ourselves grace mm-hmm. 100% how important do you feel like research is when it comes to writing horror fiction? And do you find yourself diving into different subjects to add depth and authenticity? And do you ever consult specialists on different things? Oh, yes. Um, I think research is very important, especially when you're dealing with something that there is experts in the world about, because you never know who is going to encounter your art. So mm-hmm. when I first started with, you know, writing about exorcisms and possessions, I was like, okay, I want to get this right. I need to make my own spin on it, but I want to make it believable in terms of how exorcism is done, what the steps are to knowing someone is possessed, and how that would be different <laughs> from, you know, whether somebody had, you know, a mental illness or a seizure disorder or whatever. So the first thing I did was I tracked down an out-of-print book by the exorcist priest who they consulted for the exorcist. 
And so I read that book. It took me a while to find it, but I finally found it through Interlibrary Loan. And then um, I ended up, uh, I don't know if you all had seen the horror film a few years ago called Deliver, uh, Deliver Us From Evil. It was about the police sergeant. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I got in contact with Ralph Starchy online, and so I talked to him about his experiences and stuff. And so I th I'm definitely very much a, you can't write about it unless you know it. So you have to be able to research what it is you're writing about. I, yeah, I know this wasn't on our question list, but um, when you're like reaching out, um, do you have any advice for some of our viewers who, if they've been wanting to maybe reach out to someone for information or for research, but they feel maybe nervous or like, what do I say? Like, do you have any advice for that on when you uh, reach out to someone? To me, I just do it as being perfectly honest. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll send a note like, hello, my name is Daniel DeVore. I'm an author of, you know, blah, blah, blah books. Or if um, I was just starting out and like, I'm, I want to be an author and I'm planning on writing this book about da, da, da. Is there any information that you'd be willing to give me that would help me in my research toward the writing of this novel? And, you oh, know, wow. you just, you know, you're completely honest and you're respectful. To the point. And those two things will get you a lot further than anything else. Oh, yeah. yeah. And short and concise. Yeah. That's my biggest People um, are busy, too. You know, you don't want to, like, send, like, a 20-page missive. People don't have time to read that. No. Um, speaking of convincing people, how do you convince people to read horror who are, like, afraid of it or convinced that it's too unsettling and too scary? How do you draw them in to one of your books? I try to, because I, I write... I've written, like, several different types of books over the years. For a while there, I did write a little bit of young adult. And so, if it's someone that, say, doesn't like gory things, then I'll steer them more toward the young adult stuff because it's not described as graphically. But if it's someone who is, like, really creeped out by the horror genre in general, I'll steer them toward, like, what are kind of well-known kind of co cozy horror books. Like, um... Ooh. Uh, that's kind of like, it's, it's now the name of it, but it's, there's authors like Darcy Coates who writes a bunch of like haunted house stories that are spooky, but they don't have like, you know, intense things like, you know, say in Kubrick's The Shining where you see, you know, you know, the person get killed with the axe in the head and that type of, it doesn't have that in those books. So it's like general ghost stories. So there's something that, you know, there's a little bit of a creep factor there but it's not, like, completely in your face. And so if they happen to like that, then you can hopefully get them hooked to go a little further. If that makes any sense. Bit by bit by yeah, bit. exactly. Real man. Exactly. <laughs> Just like the mafia. Just back in. <laughs> the horror mafia! That's right! <laughs> um, in your opinion... What distinguishes horror fiction from other genres? What sets it apart and makes it such a compelling genre for both creators and audiences? I think one of the biggest things is that horror is the only genre that's completely subjective. And what I mean by that is that we all have completely different fears. None of us are afraid of the exact same things. So you can have a horror novel that 
completely doesn't affect one person, but say this person over here is scared to death of butterflies. Whereas romance, you know, the romance novel is about falling in love. That's flat out the romance genre. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the biggest thing that sets horror aside is that it's the only genre that's subjective. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Ooh. And uh, everybody, don't forget, we know we're doing a lot of interviews, oh, but yes. at the end of our interview, we're doing a giveaway, so stick around. At the end of our questions, we're going to be doing the prize wheel and spin to see who wins the giveaway, and one yeah. of those is that special edition hardcover book that has an alternate ending that no one else has seen yet, so that's pretty yes. special. Pretty wild. Have you considered adapting your own work for the screen, for TV, oh. or film? And if so, what challenges or opportunities do you anticipate for that? I would love to have my series adapted into either, you know, film or TV. The biggest thing that is a challenge is one, you know, you need a lot of money to be able yeah. to adapt anything for, you know, a visual medium. So your best bet is to hope that you sell a lot of books and then, then you know, the right person reads your book and then is like, okay, I want to put money toward this. Because otherwise, you know, if you're just, you know, a small author who has, you know, maybe sold 20 books, you won't even get through the door. It doesn't matter how good your book is, if they don't see that there's a possibility for an audience, they're not going to put money toward it. And so, so mm -hmm. far I have not reached the threshold that, you know, I've sold enough books to, like, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to take on your book. I have had a couple of times when somebody has been interested, but they've passed, unfortunately. <laughs> do you think You'll get there. Uh, when it happens, because it's not if, it's when, um, do you think you get to be part of the... Uh, writing the screenplay or do you think it's where you uh, just sign your check to yourself and <laughs> accept that money and they write it? I would like to be part of it but I know that mm -hmm. getting the, the real realities of getting into it is that you kind of have to have a very big name in order to have that much control. So in order yeah. to actually be involved in a film to where you can say, okay, I want this character to look like this, and I want the script to have this point and this point and this point. It's okay if you cut that. You have to be somebody like Anne Rice or like Stephen King. Yeah. You, as a regular person, you're not going to have that much control. Chances are, you're going to be, your your agent is going to sell the rights to your novel, and then they may or may not consent you to work on the screenplay. Most of the time, not. And then you'll probably, if you're lucky, get a chance to go visit the set once. That's the reality of how things are right now. Damn. The person who actually reality. created it. Like, that's so wild. Like, you would think, but that's the way it is, I guess, yeah. right now. Yeah. Um. So this next question, I feel like we've kind of approach this so i'm gonna ask something that's not on there because i just want to know what is a trope in any kind of writing not just horror writing that you just can't stand you're just like i'm so tired of seeing this trope over and over and over um probably the happily ever after 
Um, ah. And the reason why is that my absolute favorite romance novel was Love Story. If anyone mm. has ever seen the movie or read the book, it does not have a happy ending. And so thus no. now it is not considered a romance because it doesn't have a happy ending. Oh. And oh. I'm like, well, you can have, you know, a romantic book and have ro a romance book, but things just don't work out because that's realistic. Yeah, Wuthering Heights, hello. Yeah. I mean, and I understand that, you know, a lot of romance readers like it to be escapism. But I think there's a place for stories that don't have a happy, happy ever after. That's my opinion. <laughs> I don't know how much I might get, you know, put up on the dartboard for that, but that's my opinion. <laughs> I like oh, I think, again, it's one of those things. There's, there's that audience for both. There are lots of people who need the escapism and they need the happy ending. But there are also people who want it to feel more real and realistic or maybe they don't want every single story to end like a Disney movie, you know, like mm -hmm. you want more substance than that. You want a surprise. You don't want to like be like, well, I already know that these two are going to end up happily ever after at the end. Like yeah. what's, where's the mystery then if every single romance, you know, oh, for sure. They're always happy at the end. Mm -hmm. Like what's keeping you in? Yeah. yeah. So I kind of want to ask my own question as well. Because mm -hmm. I find that with, when it comes to, like, well, me personally, I feel like I could never write a book because I, I can write only so much and then be like, all right, I'm done with it. How do you find the motivation to keep going and to keep writing? Uh, well, for me, it's kind of like, to be honest, I actually fell into writing books. It was kind of funny. I actually, like, way back when, I wanted to be a special effects makeup artist for horror films. And nice. when I was going and I could back then, they did not have the things they have now. They didn't have like the big like special effects makeup schools or anything like that. So my choices were either A, being able to go to film school, which was horribly expensive, or yeah. B, going to college and getting a theater degree. So that's the route I took because that's what I could afford. Well, as I went through my theater degree, you had to take, you know, a variety of different classes, one of them being playwriting. And I actually really enjoyed it, so I started writing plays. And I left the idea of being a makeup artist at the time because in order to, like, say, get into the industry, this was like 1994, you had to move out to L.A., you had mm -hmm. to be an intern at one of the special effects houses, working there for no pay, 90 hours a week, and then somehow live in L.A. God. No. So there was, it was impossible. You had to be either rich or you had to have family that lived out there. So uh -huh. that's why I left being a makeup artist behind. And so, you know, I got really into playwriting, and I thought it was really fun. And as a child, I'd write, like, little short stories and stuff, and people said, oh, that's really good. You should keep writing. But I didn't really think a whole lot of it. And... You know, the more I wrote plays, I was like, okay, maybe this is my calling. And I got into directing when I was doing theater degree as well. So it's like, okay, maybe I can get into film that way and not do effects, but maybe I can write or direct. And I didn't really, like, you know, pursue it any, like, further than, like, an idea per se. But, you know, I wrote a couple, like, short, like, little film scripts and stuff I thought would be kind of fun to produce on my own and little things. And I never did. But then finally, 
I had a friend who was into writing Harry Potter fan fiction of all things. And she's like, oh, you should really I'm write some of this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll leave. <laughs> no, it's not me. Did you summon Shay? <laughs> no, very. Like, like, I've been summoned. Hello. <laughs> sorry, come on. No, you're fine. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of fun writing the Harry Potter fan fiction. And I was like, you know, after a while, it's like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to write something for myself, you know, a real original thing. And I got the flu and I was horribly sick. Mm. And so I got into the bathtub and I was just like, you know how, when you're so sick, you just want to soak. And yeah. I'm listening to the water run out of the tap and this line hits my head. And it was like, it was, you know, you've been on the streets too long when the sound of falling rain sounds like someone urinating. <laughs> and I was like, where did this come from and who the hell is it? You know? And so then it mm -hmm. became my first book I ever wrote, which is um called Riding on the Tail of the Devil. It's about a straight kid who gets turned into a vampire only to discover he's the long lost vampire king. So that's oh. that was where my first book came up just from that's having tight. the flu and being in the bathtub. <laughs> wow. Also, That's if awesome. you do live in a big city long enough, you do confuse the sound of rain with urinating. This has happened to me in Hollywood. I was like, it's raining, and I ran to my window all happy, and no, it's just a guy peeing on a tree. That's all. Gross. I don't think I want to live in L.A. Oh, no power to you, Um, Do you ever think about trying to strike a balance um with like having there be gore but also trying to think about some people are more sensitive or is it more like you know hey this is horror genre so i'm gonna write what i want to write and that sort of thing doesn't matter well, my stuff isn't like per se like extreme gore or anything i know there's some horror authors that write some really extreme stuff um if you're interested in seeking that out check out Judith Sonnet. Her stuff is brutal. And I don't say mm. that lightly. It is absolutely brutal. Um, my stuff is more along the lines of like a standard horror film. It's not like torture porn or anything like that. You know, there's a little bit of gore, but most of it is about, you know, the terror and stuff to lead up to the climax. So I don't really necessarily think that I have to, like, fudge my stuff backwards. Now, I did have to, to a certain extent, when I wrote Young Adult, um, but I just can't do it anymore. Young Adult has gotten to be so restrictive in terms of what you can show, because um, the feelings in terms of Young Adult and our society has changed to a certain extent so much that, you know, Young Adult has to have the, the most it can have on screen is like a Disney movie. And not that mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with a Disney movie, that's just not what I want to write. So I changed over writing to all adult stuff. That's totally fair. Totally valid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, what are you hoping that your readers take away from your writings? Like, what kind of experience are you hoping to leave them with? I hope that they have a fun time and they are entertained, ultimately. Um, I hope that they like really get a kick out of my characters because I put a lot of thought in them. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, beyond that, I just ultimately want them to have a good time. 
Okay, yeah, keep it a wild ride. Uh, yeah, yeah. So for our last question, um, what advice would you give to? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I was giving it automatically. Okay, okay, okay. So, what advice would you give to aspiring authors who are interested in exploring horror fiction? And do you have any tips specifically for women who want to make their mark in this genre? Uh, in general, I would say read, 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 because in order to write your genre, you have to know your genre. So you have to know how horror is currently being written, so read a bunch of modern horror. You have to know how it was done in the past, so you know what isn't currently popular. Um, so that's the biggest thing, and, and that goes for any genre. You have to read, 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 read to know what it is that you're trying to write. In terms of being a woman in horror, since things have opened up to a certain extent, it's a little easier. But know that when you say go to a Facebook group that is related to the horror genre, most of the authors that people will talk about are going to be men. It's very hard to get the fan base of women authors to talk about their books as often as they do male authors. It's happening more often now, it's not like it was, but it's still predominantly male authors that they talk about. So kill them. I mean, <laughs> what? Now? Keep you male have, authors alive. Other than, of course, yourself, everybody check out her books. And you mentioned yeah. one other woman. Are there any other women in horror that you would recommend that we support? Absolutely. Anaya Alburn is great. She wrote this one book that I absolutely love. It's called Brother. It's kind of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets <laughs> um, The Orphan and a couple other things. It's really, really good stuff. Um, Tenerife Dew writes some really cool, creepy uh BIPOC uh, haunted house stories. Um, one of my favorite vampire authors is Jemiah Jefferson, and she has the Voice of the Blood series that came out in the 90s, but it's still amazing. Um, you know, classics like Mary Shelley, Anne Rice, that type of thing. Love it. Before we do our giveaway, is there anything you'd like to share, uh, like an upcoming book that's about to come out, your website, your socials that you want to share with everyone one more time before we get into our giveaway? Well, my website is com, and you can find all my socials linked on there. So, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of them are on the website. Um, the most exciting thing besides the hardbacks coming out is that right now, books five in the Marker Chronicles is slated to come out in October. So Sorrow's Fall is finally coming after a several year hiatus. So Ooh, Yeah. That's the return. I love that it's October too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Just in time for spooky season. Exactly. It's so exciting. Oh wait, no, I wanna see this spin thing that we're gonna do it. We have our producer who's going to hopefully maybe pop that video on the screen. That we have for the giveaway. The spinning wheel. Oh, there it is. Okay, here it goes. So this is, ev Melissa, this is everyone who entered, right? How did it work? Yes. Anyone who uh, retweeted Woo! before our stream today 
I went ahead and put you in a list and then I clicked shuffle on it so it shuffled the list so there's no anything like that. It's totally random. And then we spent JL begin. Yeah! Our first winner! You Yay. win a paperback! This is... Drum roll. This is so cool. I don't know. I want to make all decisions like this. <laughs> Luna right? Wilson 1313. Yay, Luna! Yay, Luna! That's a great name. Anytime I hear Luna, I'm like, yes. Give me that moon element. It's fun to be a V, a v something. It's fun to be something. <laughs> it's so vampire. A vampire. Oh, oh that's, that's, cool. that's awesome. That's perfect. That's, that's actually cool. fitting. You want a paper right? book? <laughs> Go on, funny. 69, 69. Yay. Oh, she's in the chat. Okay. Yes, you won! Yes! We've got several winners in the chat. And yeah. Megan D. Yay! Look at y'all winning books. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to be a vampire, yeah. Does you... Has that been five yet? I lost count. I don't know. I Wicked. So. 214. I think that was it. I think that's the one who wins our hardback. Yeah. Wicked yeah. Yeah, Wicked, you won the hardcover. Congratulations to all of our winners. And thank you so much for doing that, Daniel. That's, oh, sure. That's, that's so cool. And thanks cool. to City Out Press for, you know, sponsoring the giveaway. They yeah. are a really wonderful publisher and also a pu wonderful publisher to work for. I was an author with them for quite a few years before they hired me, so I have like a very friendly, happy tone with them. I guess we'll put it that way. Awesome. They're great I people. Love that. So, do you want us to have the winners contact us and we pass on the information yes, to please. you? Yes, That would be wonderful. So, if and you guys are watching and you want, DM us. The Out Press, and then they will um, send people their books. That's so cool. We love a giveaway. Ah! If you get I the want book, to do this every stream now. Read about the book <laughs> and let us great. know how good it is. I know. I'm going to order one too. Yay. I'm stoked. I like want to order a hardback because I'm super into hardback. Well, I, will so weird. I want it to be hard. As soon as they're as available. As they're available. Yeah. Mm. Or you can do the um, pre order thingy on my website. Oh, yeah, that's yes. right. Yes. That's what I want to do. Yes. Yeah. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you um, all for having me. So much this knowledge. Is amazing. It's so inspiring, too. And I'm, I'm not sure when here. we're having back. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure when we're having you back, but we're having you back for some ghost, ghost? stories. Oh, God. Why does I say that the fucking cat opened the door in the week? <laughs> I was like, nah. He's like, Mom, okay. the ghosts are bothering me. <laughs> he is. He's literally crying. Like, Come to bed. <laughs> All right, everyone. I guess we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Danielle. Bye. Bye. Bye.